This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dune Talk. This is a show where we talk everything in the world of Dune, books, movies, comics, games, collectibles, or what's going on in the community. Some of our regular segments include the latest news and reviews. And like our past two shows, we also bring on special guests for interviews. Today, we're reviewing the home video release and its special features. The movie is out now on Blu-ray and digital in multiple countries. We've had a chance to rewatch as well as enjoy the extras. This is Marcus, and I'm excited to be back here again with full crew following the holidays. Hey everybody, it's Garen Granada. Uh, excited to be back, excited to talk about this, this fantastic disc. So I wanna dive into the details. Yes, I am stoked to be back. Johnny Sobchuk here. Um, it's been a good little break, but I'm, I'm glad that we're back together. And what a good occasion to uh, come back because of the Dune home release. Uh, I'm I'm just very, very excited about it and uh, pleased with it. So much more to uh, discuss. I'm in here. Uh, hey, boys. I miss talking to you guys about Dune. Um, really excited that now we can talk about the home release. Okay, cool. So let's dive in and talk Dune Part 1 on Blu-ray. So, uh, Garen, I'm going to start with you for the, for the first question, because I know that you have an impressive setup, at least in terms of uh, audio uh, at home cinema. Uh, so what was your experience rewatching Dune on Blu-ray specifically, and how did it compare with like earlier viewings uh, at the theater or on streaming on HBO Max? Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm really a, a stickler for the, the sound and also the image quality so you know obviously watching it on on a on a 4k disc which is the best you can experience in a home theater setup is not going to compare to the size of the speaker system they have in an imax right it's just sound is pushing air so the bigger your speakers the more pressure you're going to feel on your body so you can't quite experience that at least in my in my home theater setup i don't have the size of speakers they have in an imax but I will say that the transfer of the image and the sound, especially the bass, because this movie really employs a lot of bass in some really key moments, like the voice, like the ornithopters, like the, the worms, they really did a fantastic job of, in, in this transfer. So, and, and usually what I do is I'll, I'll, I'll watch it all the way through and, and I'm listening, you know, I've got it really loud. My wife loves that, the neighbors love that, but, what I'm doing is I'm listening for the detail. I'm listening for the accuracy. I'm, lis I'm listening for the range. Um, and, and it just, it really impressed me. You know, I, I have some other films that are kind of my criterion for this. And, and this, is, this is right in the top 10. They did a fantastic job with this. And, you know, the experience, I, I will hand it to Denis. He wanted us to see this in a theater. We've talked about this on the show. That's the premier experience that he wants you to have, right? But in a home theater that has the right setup with the right amount of power, it's pretty close. I mean, it at least approaches that experience that I think he wants you to have. So um, I have some pretty good headphones that I've, I've been listening to the 4K uh, uh, sound and, and watching it on my, my smaller TV in my bedroom. And it just isn't the same, right? I mean, it just isn't that same broad, overwhelming, expansive experience. So as far as the first initial, you know, take that I have on the transfer of the image and the sound, man, thoroughly impressed. 
I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, um, I'll chime in next with uh, my thoughts. It's, it's funny because I feel with some films, they do play really well in the theater. Um, and then when you get home, maybe they're just not as impressive because you don't have the size of the screen, the size of the speaker setup. I think one movie that gets picked on a lot for that in particular, just in film circles, the ones that I go around are uh, like Avatar, for example. Like that's a movie I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, no one cares about Avatar anymore. Oh, no one watches it. It was just like this thing, this experience where you saw this world and especially if you saw it in 3D, which a lot of people don't have 3D in their home setups. Um, there's just certain movies that play better in that situation. So I, I can understand that. I was never worried about that with Dune because Dune I think is, is better than Avatar, I would say, and better than a lot of movies. But I think that one of the interesting things I was looking forward to is sometimes the visuals can be like perfect. The sound can be perfect in the theater when it's released theatrically, theatrically. But then the home release, sometimes, you know, whoever does it, the studio, the distributor, they just drop the ball with doing the home transfer, doing the home release setup, uh, whether it's the video, whether the sound is lacking, uh, it's, you know, it's not mixed correctly. Um, that was something I was just looking forward to because, of course, I saw Dune five times in IMAX. I was blown away every time. Some venues differed from others as far as like the lighting quality and, and colors and things like that. Um, but I, I, I tweeted this the night I watched it. And this was last week, the very first day I had it in my home. My parents hadn't seen it yet. They hadn't seen Dune yet. Well, the first thing is that they loved it. They thought it was great. And they were, they, they, it exceeded their expectations or went against like, I guess maybe what they were expecting from Dune, which was fun. Um, but then for me watching it, I, I tweeted, I was like, I saw this in theaters, like in some of the best setups you can imagine. And I just thought that this was like the best that I had seen it. Like as far as detail, as far as, far as clarity and the, the quality of the light and the way it's presented. Cause when you're in a theater, if you're at the theater, it's projected. Some people have projectors in their homes when they watch movies. Most people do not. What you have here is just the perfect quality of the image and the 4K scan is so uh, pristine and so clean, but also still maintains that, that very distinct, unique kind of filmic look to it that Greg Frazier and Denis Villeneuve were going for. But yeah, so many little tiny details I noticed I'd never noticed before, just textures on costumes and props and set design and the quality of the visual effects. Um, one, one spot of the film that really stood out in particular was the uh, last maybe 25, 30 minutes where they're in the desert, especially at night. Um, Jessica and Paul are walking through the desert at, at night and they run into the Fremen. Um, some people I saw complain about how that looked in theaters. They thought it was a little too dark or dim to kind of make out everything. Uh, I never had that experience. I thought it always looked pretty good. Um, but when I watched this on the 4K, it looked just perfect. Like it was just like so perfectly lit. And you knew Greg, Greg Frazier and Denis Villeneuve, like you know what they're going for and you know that they're going to give you the right balance. And uh, maybe in some other formats or in the theater, it, was, it might be a little bit harder to get that right quality to it. But with the full control that they had for this home release and getting the color grading right and everything, it just looks so good. It looks, and that was something I even mentioned when I saw it in theaters was that I thought the day for night stuff that they did at that, those last few scenes, I thought looked surprisingly good. And I thought it was a good balance of enough light to see what was going on, but not too much where it just looked kind of fake. Um, and in this, it stands out even more. Like it's very, very strong. And when it comes to 4K movie releases, 
HDR is of course another big factor as well. And that, that plays into the, that high dynamic range when it comes to color quality and then your blacks versus whites. And uh, it just, everything is just so, so crisp and pristine. That's really the best way I can describe it. And uh, honestly, I, so I, that was the first time watching it. And then the other night I got home and I was just hanging out after work and I just randomly, I was like, I just want to throw it on. Like, I just, I just put it on. I wasn't really paying attention that much. I was just kind of like had it on the background, but just listening to the sound of the audio track and just looking up every now and then in any frame you look at, it could be its own like work of art or painting. And so just to have that kind of that presence, I was like, I just want to be in that world and just hanging out in it. Um, and the, the home release is a great opportunity to uh, do that, you know, months after the fact uh, of it being out in theaters. So I'm glad that you all thought the, the, transfer looked beautiful. So I have a 4K TV. I don't have a 4K PlayStation or a Blu-ray player. So I just stream stuff off my PS4. Like I I actually bought the physical copy and I usually don't do that. And my first reaction was like, holy crap, this Blu-ray transfer looks gorgeous. Like, you know, sometimes when you watch a movie, you remember it looking a certain way. And especially like editing the show, I'm like, I've seen so many of these images in my head. They're just like nonstop. But I was like, holy crap, this transfer looks amazing. I'm glad I'm not the only one that was freaking out about it. And um, also what Johnny was saying, the scenes, the last 20 minutes, I remember seeing it on HBO Max and in the theater in IMAX. And I was like, I really like it. It's just really dark. I was one of those people complaining about it. The transfer, you can actually see a little bit more details. It looks still dark, but still just the amount of light that comes in. It's a beautiful, just the, the 1080 version, you know, on the Blu-ray is gorgeous. So I can only imagine what the 4K looks like. Also, I don't know if you guys know about the little Easter egg on the Blu-ray. You guys have uh, on the 4K release, do they come with a Blu-ray or no? I'm, oh, yes. Yeah. Are you talking about the disc, the way it lights up? Yep. Yeah. I saw that. I, I have no shame. I, I started watching TikTok videos and I saw a TikTok video with it and I was like, what? But it's just so cool that they put the little detail just even on that, like that little Easter egg that you can see the painting of Shai Hulu on Blu-ray. But overall, beautiful transfer. And I agree with you, Garen. There's some like digital copies and, you know, home release that I'm like, okay, this is one of the best transfers around. And Dune is definitely... Like it's criterion level. You know, Marcus, before you make a comment, I, I just want to encourage uh, any of our, any of our uh, followers to, if you, if you have a, an Xbox or a PlayStation or whatever you have that is playing your, your, your 4k disc. And as long as it's, as long as the sound is being powered pretty well, get a really good set of headphones and you got to crank it up a little bit. I mean, don't, don't blow your ears out, but and just listen to things like the voice and when the Benny Gesserit are on screen and when Paul's in the still tent with Jessica and just listen, just close your eyes and you will hear multiple voices bouncing around in your, in your sound field. And I don't even remember that level of detail uh, at the IMAX, uh, probably because I was overwhelmed by all the other things that were in mm -hmm. front of me. So that to me was a testament to the quality level of the sound. Um, but I like what Johnny said and you Simon as well, that 
you even see a range of color uh, that is that is more than what I'm used to in seeing anything, especially streaming. Streaming just can't stream the amount of data to your TV, but when you have a disc, it's giving you all that data. And so it, it can create the HDR uh, broad spectrum of colors and, and there's no lag in any of the action. And, 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 and the sound is the very best you can, you can hear at home. So the 4K soundtrack, which is usually Dolby Atmos, I believe it is on this disc, that is the best sound you can listen to. You can't yet do that through streaming. One day we will, but we can't yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's those are great points, Garrett. And I'm definitely I'm a big physical media guy. Uh, that's something I was talking to the, the the fellows about here before we started recording. And I mean, I don't have like a room full of movies like some people do. I'm still young. I'm sure I'll get there. But uh, I have a lot of Criterion. I have a lot of 4Ks, collectors editions, all that stuff. And they, I, I've seen a lot, especially the more recent last couple of years, because they've done some awesome like restorations and re-releases of older movies and things. I mean, even more recent movies. I mean, Blade Runner 2049, that's a great, you know, reference quality disc. Um, I mean, this is definitely, if it's not the best, it's very, very close up there for just my own collection, what I've seen at home, as far as the image quality, as far as the sound. Um, and not to, And I also don't think like, I feel almost like elitist when I talk about 4Ks because like, I know Simon, for example, he's talking about the Blu-ray and he doesn't have like a 4K player. But and that's like, just me being a fan of more digital media yeah. because iTunes will convert stuff to 4K, but it's not pure 4K like yeah. a disc, like what Garen was saying. I mean, for the longest time, like 4K has been around for a while at this point, especially for like home releases. Um, and I just only got into it because I was lucky enough somehow miraculously to get a PlayStation 5 when they, when they came out a couple of years ago or, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, so, but Blu-ray, I mean, Blu-ray is still, I mean, that's a very great quality image and will hold up. I mean, a Blu-ray is definitely way better than pretty much anything as far as streaming goes. Cause you have the, you know, the physical disc and that coding for the sound and for the image um, definitely cannot be beat. I mean, streaming, most streaming, I would say as far as quality is basically close to like DVD like quality as far as the image um so i think even blu-rays i think a lot of more people are familiar with blu-rays like just standard blu-rays and have like blu-ray players so they have an older xbox or a playstation 4 playstation 3 or something that they can play them on um so i would definitely you know recommend you don't need the 4k to watch this movie in like the best possible quality the blu-ray is i would have no doubt i haven't looked at it yet myself the copy i have but I'm sure that's basically reference quality for Blu-ray and looks amazing and sounds amazing and better than what you saw either on HBO Max or if you have a digital version of the movie. Um, so if you can, definitely, I would recommend it. Um, and then the other, the last thing I just remembered uh, as you guys were talking, wrapping up, was that tweet that I, I posted on the 11th when I first watched it and was commenting on how good it looked. Uh, the editor, Joe Walker, liked my tweet. So obviously he knows. <laughs> he's like, this guy, this guy gets it. Because <laughs> um, he's seen it in every possible variation, I'm sure. So um, yeah, it's I, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And uh, I can't wait because it's going to hold up over the years. And yeah, to, to give a counterpoint to, to that, I would say like, I'm, uh, you know, uh, not at all a physical media uh, person. So like I've switched to digital for, for a lot of aspects. But yeah, I, I totally echo what everybody's been been saying. The quality of this, it 
you, you, you can notice the difference. I mean, it, it, it is a huge difference when you put on the Blu-ray disc. Of course, you don't have to worry about that, that streaming uh, compression. I, I do want to say that, like, um, overall, I, th I thought they did an excellent job with this release, both the disc versions and the digital uh, versions, because you, you get, at least in the US, you get the digital code, you can redeem it on movies anywhere. Uh, like, I chose to redeem it on Prime Video, like, I'm, I'm biased, but I also know that, like, there have been a lot of com comparisons that that have been done where Prime Video does have in terms of uh, 4K streams, you know, like the top uh, quality, but like basically then it's linked to your library in, in other ways. So actually in this case, Prime Video didn't have the extras, but I linked it to the, my iTunes library and then I could watch all the, the extras on, on there in, in high quality as well. So it's so really, really convenient offering like everybody a way to enjoy it in the best possible uh, uh, format. And I think that uh, the digital copy that, that comes with this, this is better than the one that you saw on HBO Max, like on subscription services, because this is an actual, uh, like owned digital copy. And like, uh, I know that iTunes and, and Prime Video are quite good with quality. Rewatching it actually made me enjoy the movie again. Like, I'm not <laughs> saying I never stopped enjoying the movie, but like you, opening night, I opened it. It's funny because, so I don't work at Target anymore. I actually work at Best Buy and I picked up the Target copy, right? And my girlfriend dropped me off for work. She's like, do you want to take the movie with you so you can fondle it on your lunch? I'm like, no, <laughs> don't worry about it. Like, you're working late tonight. I'll be watching this when you get. <laughs> and she came home at 11 o'clock at night and I was watching Dune. So, um, but it made me enjoy the movie again. Like, I've always loved the movie. There was never that point where I go, oh. but just seeing it again for the first time in a while and just the transfer, like, I might not be the audio guy like Garen, but I love sharp, you know, quality video. And I was like, holy crap. And my first reaction was like, how nice will the 4K release looks? But I'm glad that you guys enjoy your 4K. Um, I'm kind of tempted of getting a 4K player and starting to buy 4K <laughs> disc now. But I'm like, no, you have a bunch of movies on iTunes. Stay that way. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you can have both. I, I, I kind of like what you were saying there, uh, Marcus, about there's kind of, there's one for everyone. And mm -hmm. it, you know, so on a really small television, so I'm going to get all techie geeky on you guys for a minute, but on a smaller television, like, uh, like a smaller than, you know, 40 inch TV, you actually visually won't see a difference uh, with a 4K disc versus a Blu-ray because there's not enough pixels to, 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 to display, it's when you have something bigger than a 40 inch screen, you want a 4K because it'll fill all the pixels on that screen and it'll just be mind blowingly accurate and, and the colors and the, the detail. So, but you know, I, I would encourage you Simon to, to get a 4K player, especially if you have a larger TV because you will see the difference. And, yeah, and I, I just love my... the sound quality difference on a, on a physical disc. I think my TV is about 55, but what you were talking about, like the digital copy, I was watching it on my iPad because, you know, the advantage of watching something with app, iTunes, you can watch it anywhere, right? Stream. And it looks gorgeous on the iPad. Like last night when we were going to start recording, I was looking at it and I was like, wow, this looks so nice. But yeah, yeah. if pretty much what Garen's explaining is if you have a low res image like a Blu-ray and you blow it up slowly by slowly, it's going to get pixelated and look bad. But yeah, I think if you're under 40 inches, the Blu-ray works. I mean, if you want to upgrade to 4K, 
Yeah, it's something I'm thinking about, but right now I think my next big purchase is a sound bar because I, I want to enjoy this movie in glorious 5.1. <laughs> Do the sound bar first, I agree. <laughs> nice so let's let's go ahead and move on to the special features so the blu-ray disc contained an hour of uh, of extras so it was a mix of interviews with the cast and crew behind the scenes footage from the preparation and from the sets and we got to see some nice concept art that was revealed for the first time as as part of these um so let, let's let's start with you uh, simon so what was your favorite special feature and what were the highlights uh for you so I like the film book. I also love the set designs because just showing the scale of the set. Like when they're on Arakane, just those sets are so massive. We knew, but seeing a little bit more special features, I was like, wow, they really went all out for this movie. And, and I have to say like, uh, yeah, that's a good call about the, the film books. I love the fact that they were in universe. So it was basically like, oh, I mean, of course we know it's, it's Joe Walker uh, who, who's, who's speaking, but like it was spoken by someone who's narrating in universe of, of those events. And I would have, you know, love to see like longer versions of, of these, you know, like really going into the into history, for example, the Butler and the Jihad, more of the rivalry between House Trades and, uh, and House, House Harkonnen. So that, that was something that I also uh, really enjoyed. Yeah, touching on the film book real quick, I, I am a big fan of those as well. I wasn't expecting them to be as, detailed and as as in world and as interesting as they actually are um and they touch on a number of like different subjects which i thought was fun um and they're yeah they're they're like the production i'm just thinking about like how did they go about like even making these or thinking about developing these because it's pretty interesting it does take pretty much some material that's even straight out of the movie that they say in the movie or joe walker narrates there um as paul watches some film books and uh i think that these would have been so cool and who knows when they made these, when they finalized them or when this idea was like conceived. But I think these would have been really cool as like, you know, pre-movie um, like releases, like featurettes, like leading up to the release of the movie. And of course we got featurettes up to the release, but they were more like your basic, you know, behind the scenes looks and things like that with interviews and stuff. Um, maybe they were thinking like, hmm, people are going to have no idea what the hell a film book is. So let's not even bother trying to get into that, which I totally understand. Um, but now that they've kind of established that and had these on here, I think it, even if they don't come up with new ones, I think they'd be cool to like release online at some point, even if it was just like leading up to part two or something. So um, it's probably without saying my favorite uh, extra is obviously the constructing of the ornithopters, right? I've watched that 50 times already. Just um, today, right? <laughs> So, uh, but I do want to talk about the, the, the one that I, that I really was quite fascinated by, and I think you already mentioned it, uh, Simon, was uh, it's creating the ancient future. So you've kind of got Jason Momoa doing some, some commentary during that. But the fact that, you know, when I was first reading the book and imagining, you know, Eric Keane and the, and the residents, you know, of the royal house and everything there, of course, I knew it needed to be substantial because you're you're dealing with these you know 800 kilometer uh, wind storms and, and sandstorms and things, but the way they they put so much effort into making sure that there wasn't too much light coming through into these rooms and into these buildings because the heat would be you know deadly, and 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 they're they're just like these bunkers and I I like the inspiration that Patrice Vermette just the amount of thought 
that he that he put forth to to design you know what these buildings and what the structure should feel like i was really amazed by that i i hadn't thought so much about that you know it just it seemed kind of natural when you're watching the film you know you you see the design of of Arakeen city and and it just sort of felt real to me i didn't think that much about it so when i watched this extra that that was really quite impressive and surprising to me that that much detail went into it um and and also into Gidi prime you know he, he he put that same amount of effort and and thought into you know what would that what would the light look like on Gidi prime you know what would it look like in in you know the baron the harkonnen residences and 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 uh in the inside those buildings so that was the one that really really stood out to me and i really liked something that Denise said, and I think maybe we've talked about this on this show before, but he said he likes practical sets as much as possible. And I thought, well, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense, I guess. It's probably not uh, economically the best choice sometimes, but, but the fact that he said it inspires his imagination as a director when he's on a set that feels real and is, is, is large and expansive and, and natural, and, and he said, it's like he's inspired just by being there and the way the light will fall on, on, a, on a person or an actor or a subject or a, an object. And it will inspire him in the moment to actually be creative as they're shooting. And I just thought that was really interesting that he, he likes these, these practical large sets as Dune had, which I love the way they did this, but that he was inspired, the actors were inspired on the day of shooting. And I just think, gosh, what a talent to be that open to inspiration like that. You know, it's interesting. I saw a special feature today that just showed up on YouTube, like, hey, you might like this. And it was creating the Baron mostly. I think it was an IGN thing and it was posted recently. Yeah. And Giddy Prime, do you know which one I'm talking about, Johnny? Yeah, I saw it on IGN today, yeah. Um, it's interesting because what inspired Giddy Prime was Joy Division. Apparently, Patrice was listening to a lot of Joy Division when he was designing Giddy Prime. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I mean, I think I clicked on it because it said something like Joy Division inspires Dune. I'm like, what? I love Joy Division. And obviously, I love Dune. So, so, I'm, so um, you're forgetting Johnny doesn't know who Joy Division is. He's too young. <laughs> he is. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's just so massive. And when we did our interview with, yeah. you know, Richard, um, the Harkonnen soldier, he was telling us how massive the sets are. And, you know, you can hear it from someone, but seeing that special feature, I was just like, holy crap. I can't wait what you're going to do for part two and Messiah. Especially, I just finished re-listening to the audiobook of Messiah, and now I'm just like so pumped for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so you guys make some... I'm shocked that you didn't talk more about the Ornithopters. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I'm amazed, you know, props to your restraint. Um, but no, honestly, yeah, the Ornithopters might've been my favorite just because God, they were just so cool. Um, I mean, everyone knows that at this point, but I liked listening to George Hull and uh, Patrice Vermed and Denis talk about the different ideas that they were mixing between the three of them and the design process of building them and um, how they had the physical, you know, structures on set for some things. But then of course you have to alter them with digital effects. You have to replace them with digital effects later on. And the, oh, I loved the images of 
how they manage, because this is stuff you would never even think about. And I guess Denis is really one of the only people that would think about it, is having, and, and of course he's working in conjunction with Greg Frazier, cinematographer, Patrice Lambert, or Patrice Lambert, Paul Lambert, the visual effects supervisor, one of them. Um, but the way that they use the helicopters, real helicopters, to mimic and recreate what it would look like for the ornithopter in the actual space. And they were out in Jordan in the desert for real in helicopters shooting aircraft to aircraft. They were shooting on the ground and having a helicopter land like when Duncan comes and meets Paul and Jessica, um, when Duncan goes and meets uh, Kynes. I was just like, wow. Like I had I had heard that I think, and and I kind of knew the general idea, but actually seeing those images for the first time, the actual footage of these helicopters that they just paint out and then put in the ornithopters with, I'm just like, this is. I mean, genuinely, and I've been thinking this over and over again lately, especially. But watching the 4K really reiterated it for me. Like I don't think it's an exaggeration whatsoever to say this movie has some of the best effects of any movie ever because they are. They're so constant. There's so many frames that have, have effects going on. And a lot of the time you would never even know, or you would never think that, oh, okay, that's, this is fake, that's fake, this is real. Just the blend and, and especially the blend of the physical, the, the practical with the fully digital is just so, so impressive. Um, and then I'll shout out as well, the makeup, the Baron, um, my, my, my guy, Donald, <laughs> he is just like, it was so brilliant because I, I just know that like this very easily and probably was close to being a CG character, um, like a Thanos type. And I am just so glad that they did not do that. And because it is so much more believable and tangible and, and scary to see if you something you know you someone can touch and that is actually sitting in the room and has this look to him. Um, and also I loved in his collaboration with... Uh, the Swedish team uh, to get that suit made and design it. And, um, but the, the other highlight of that, I think for me was just getting to really hear about and, and hear words from Stellan Skarsgård, who is a very impressive actor and a very impressive mind when it comes to not just acting, but I think in general. So I can't help but say one more thing about the ornithopters. So <laughs> you buy those uh, ones that were just released from Dark Horse. Oh, God, I'm so tempted. Uh, I, I will be know. getting one of those, rest assured. <laughs> I, I figured. I figured. The thing I wanted to mention, uh, just to add on to the Ornithopters uh, segment, was the thing that uh, I believe it was Paul Lambert who described how they wanted to shoot actual helicopters so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't ever be tempted to have the camera be too close to an Ornithopter. Because if it was all CGI, you might be tempted to be creative and get like push in really close. And well, you wouldn't be because you've got these, you've got these vibrating wings going. And, and so the reality would is you would be back. The camera would be back away from the ornithopter the same way the camera's back from a helicopter. And, and so I love the fact that they chose to shoot, you know, actual helicopters in the desert so that they would have the right distance that a camera would be from an ornithopter. So it's just, again, all the detail to make it natural and authentic and real is why nothing jumps out to you at you as you're watching the film, like, whoa, cool CGI shot. You don't, you don't think that because you're feeling it. You're like in it. 
you have the characters in the ornithopter. It starts up, the, the wings start vibrating, and it just, yeah, they're they're going. Wow, they're gonna go to the city now. Okay, you're not you're not out of the moment thinking, wow, what a cool shot, you know. So I just love the detail and the thought that they put into making the the, the shots and the film correct. I, I agree we completely, Garen. Like the other day I was watching the book of Bubble Fett and there's a shot. I was like, oh, cool. That's green screen. I can tell that's CG. But you don't get that in Dune. Okay, my last ornithopter comment, and I promise I'll stop. <laughs> but I like how they they described how Denis didn't want the design. And, and I think it's the George Hull, George Hull design crew who did this. And George Hull, I think, is narrating this part of that segment where Denis is telling him, I don't want these ornithopters to look too delicate. I don't want them to look too unreal. I want it to feel like this is a heavy military grade sort of helicopter kind of vehicle that would make sense that it would be in a desert environment that's so harsh. Like he wanted it to feel like it was appropriate, you know, for, for Arrakis and not just have it be, you know, really cool and, and shocking in its design. You know, I like how he wanted it to be familiar to the audience. So the audience is thinking about the characters in the ornithopter. They're not thinking about the ornithopter. And, and I probably, I mean, that's why Denis does what he does. I, I don't know if I would have approached it that way. I would have thought, no, I want this thing to look so awesome that people are blown away. No, he wanted it to look and feel real so that we were still with the characters and still with the story. The first time you're watching it, you're so intrigued. Like as Dune fans, we all know the spice harvest scene by heart and it's such a crucial scene, but watching it, you're like, oh, are they, is everyone gonna make it out alive? And is everything awesome? And going back to like what we talked about when we were doing our commentary was they changed it up a little bit. So we're even more intrigued. There's always something new when I watch this movie. And I feel like I've seen it probably about 10 times now. And every time I fall in love with it again, and there's something like a little detail in the background or a line that I miss. It, it is really a piece of art. Just wait till you get your sound bar, Simon. All right. <laughs> And Next paycheck. <laughs> real quick, I do want to say because I know I mentioned earlier my what, something interesting. Uh, my parents really liked it, especially my dad. Um, and uh, afterward, I think it was my mom who was saying she was like the the ships, and they reminded me. There, she was like, "What's that movie?" And like just the way the ships looked and she, the sound and the music. She's like, "What's that movie where uh, those aliens come and they're like they're doing the language and stuff?" And I was like yep <laughs> i was like same exact guys saint denis villeneuve you know uh the people that you know work with the sound and uh patrice Vermette's uh production design i was like yep i was like that's you know that's like the the, the hallmark of a, a a great auteur when when my my parents who like don't really watch that many movies and the ones they do watch it's because i show them to them can remember this movie they watched like five years ago and are like oh yeah this is exactly kind of matches up with this and they have no idea but it's it's that's Villeneuve for you and it sounds like the, the keyword that we're coming back to a lot is uh, is a realism you know whether it's the, the ornithopters like how they talked about how they want it to be that an aspect that's 
the viewers felt grounded in, you know, something that could be could actually be real, and like the the design of the the air keen, uh, like how it was designed to withstand, withstand a uh, sandstorm. So really tough, really uh, really rugged, and like when, when you see the those behind the scenes shot of like people standing inside the the you know the sets of a palace and like all that empty space, you know, just is so uh, the the scale of it, like just so so impressive. Uh, so yeah, I think it just how how the attention to detail that we heard when we we're talking uh some of the cast and the the, the attention to to detail like make sure that everything felt felt real, real like also how they describe like you know you see those ornithopters and all the instrumentation like how they they thought about you know how would this really work how it would, would really work to fly just uh, yeah, re really, uh, really impressive. And yeah, as, as impressive as the visuals um, are, because I, I think they, they really like went to, to the limits, really pushed the, the envelope of what you can achieve with uh, with cinema today. And I, I think a large part of that was, you know, sticking to the practical uh, sets uh, whenever possible and having that immersive uh, uh, idea. One of the, the other aspects that we talked a lot about on this show as well is, is the, the, the sound and, and, and the music. And what was interesting there, like, uh, you know, where, where they talked about the, um, uh, the new soundscape. So we had seen some clips of, from, from that before, but like how they really wanted to feel that this was something that had never been heard, heard before. And when it comes to sound, like there, there really is no limits, right? The only limit is your imagination. So I think what like uh, Hans Zimmer and what the, the sound team put together here is going to be like a timeless uh, uh, piece that I think will, will really uh, be a benchmark for other movies. Another thought, you guys, we we reviewed the soundtrack by Hans Zimmer for this film, and, and we it gets better. said a lot about it. We love <laughs> it. And uh, one thing I wanted to mention that I really liked in the segment on this called Creating a New, a New a Soundscape is Hans Zimmer kind of created the wall of sound. Um, I think he made that, you know, kind of this iconic thing um, with um, even Dark Knight feels kind of like a wall of sound kind of a film. And um, he says in that little segment, he says, the way I approach the music in Dune is he said, instead of a, a blanket of sound, he said, I wanted moving emotion. And, and I thought, I wrote down that quote and I kept thinking about it. And I thought, you know, when you listen to the sound, to, to, the, to the music of Dune, it really is extremely heightened emotion. Um, regardless of which part, you know, of the film you're watching. And, and, and so instead of just being this overwhelming wall of music, like, like he's done in, in Inception and Dark Knight and some others, which again is, is perfect for those films, this creates emotion through that film, whether it's the Baron, whether it's, you know, the, the Atreides anthem, and whether it's, you know, the, the sound around Paul, the music that, that indicates your, your Paul's receiving a, a revelation or what have you. So I just think, again, you, you match someone like Villeneuve and, and Zimmer, and it's just like, how are you not gonna have an incredible visual cinematic experience? Because these guys are geniuses in the way they approach how they're going to get across and convey the motions and the story that they're that they're tackling. I mean, the perfect scene for that is when Leto's talking to Jessica, and he's like, "Can you take care of Paul, not as his mother, but as a Benny Jesuit?" And then you hear that score just coming, super soft. I mean, thinking about it, I just get goosebumps. How it is that emotion, like he's his mom, but she's also Benny Jesuit, so you know Paul's going to be protected no matter what. 
you did a great job like summarizing that Gary. I think those are really like awesome points and Simon touching on that as well. Like, I think that there's another, there's something I was just thinking about that has been, it's been commented on. And I think some people know about it. Maybe not a lot of people do though, is that um, one, such a hugely critical part of the movie is the editing of course. And uh, for any movie, I think editors, the second most important job for any movie only behind the director and with Joe Walker, it's really interesting because he has, and Hans Zimmer actually said this himself. He said, Joe has a more of a classical, like musical education background than I do because he worked, he was studying as a composer. He studied um, European uh, compositions and, and the history and, and everything. And so he, the, him having that element, Joe Walker, who is so brilliant when it comes to the visual element as an editor but also the fact that he has like this unbelievable background in music and so him working with Villeneuve and with Zimmer and the sound team and you know everyone else Greg Frazier like it's just it's crazy how this team came together like it, it really is like you could not have asked for anything more and you know Joe Walker saying and, and Hans Zimmer saying I think this is well over a year ago um he's like yeah there's this one part of the movie where Joe you know we're editing and Joe like took this piece of music that had nothing to do with the scene and he puts it in there and it just does something so like amazing it's, it fits so perfectly and then of course it ends up being uh the Gamjabar scene and it's that piece it, i don't think this has even been confirmed but you can you can tell it's that moment when paul looks up and he looks at the reverend mother and then that those vocals kick in and you know we hear that in other parts of the movie and it doesn't seem like hmm, you really you would really think you would put that in the Gamjabar scene but it's that moment where he's like, it's like this awakening that's happening. And he's like, you know, kind of not almost like standing up to her. And she's realizing like, oh, like, crap, I have, I have made a huge mistake. And uh, it's just like, yeah, that's a brilliant, like that, that using that vocal key as that awakening and that symbol and just timing it with that. It's just those, the way their minds work in, in concert with one another is so impressive. Um, and there was this other one last uh, technical element, since we're talking about all these different things I wanted to mention. I don't know if you guys saw about it. It was mentioned in an article um, from Filmmakers Academy and was a piece that was kind of on Twitter that I, I commented on as well. But there's this quote, um, and I don't know if any of you had this experience in your theater while watching the movie or have experienced it since, but I'll just read out the quote. Um, I'm not sure who, which part of the team this is. It might be Greg Frazier, but it says, we wanted many of the interiors of Dune to have very low light levels because we really wanted to cause the audience to experience the harshness and burn of Arrakis when you go outside on the planet. Exposure was quite down on the interiors, as Garen was kind of talking about, the design of the sets and how they made them very dark and weren't allowing a lot of light in. Um, and then it says, exposure was quite down on the interiors, so your eye iris is out. And then when you go outside and then you get blasted by the sun, you're, you iris down. And so there's an actual physical reaction that they are creating by, and because it's so funny too, and there were all these, so, so many people would complain, especially even leading up to the movie. Um, I think it changed a little bit, at least once people saw it, but they were just like, oh, these colors, it, it's not bright enough. It's not colorful enough. And it's just like, well, there's like so many different reasons why they make these decisions they do. It might not fit exactly with what your design choices would have been, but I just feel like you're not, you're like, you have to at least give it a chance to like, let them think like it's really has dark interiors because then when you go outside, your, your eyes are going to go crazy and have to adjust to it. Um, 
they didn't go with bright neon orange sand and bright blue skies because they're thinking about the ecology of the planet. And if, if there's so little water, there's going to be very little color in the sand or in the sky. Um, and they don't want it to seem like it's surrealistic or fantastical. It just feels real and tangible. And I think that's, I feel like, again, we've gone back to that so many times, just the realistic and tangibility um, that is that I think a lot of people associate with this movie and kind of has so and why it's gained so many fans. It's connected with a lot of people, I think. It's interesting that you bring that up because my first reaction when I walked out of the theater, living in Washington, I'm like, oh, it's raining. I haven't seen water for about three hours, <laughs> right? But just feeling the harshness of Arrakis, like you were saying, and I never thought about it until right now, but kind of that dry, and you're right about the colors. It shouldn't be bright neon in your face colors. It's very saturated, but it works so well that you're like, this planet has seen a lot. I like how they described the, the approach in the designing the sandworm um, uh, extra about how, you know, they really took the biological approach. They had to make it feel real, like understanding, you know, how would it work for like the, this creature to move under the sand? Uh, what would it eat? Um, you know, all, the, all those uh, the different me mechanics. And we know that in this uh, first movie that they, um, they focus on the visual effects uh, for the worm. And what makes me excited is, you know, we've seen so much of what they can do with practical effects. And it sounds like, and I hope that that's still the, still the plan that there's going to be more practical effects to the to the worms in in Dune Part Two, like that that came up in some of the, the past interviews. So, like, really excited to see how they uh, how they put that together. That's one thing I'm really looking forward to. And that was another great segment. Like, I really enjoyed that one, especially the way when they talked a lot about also the uh, like the sand simulations and those effects. That was another thing I noticed watching the 4K, like the movement of the sand and the way it moves like water and just these huge waves was just so, there's such a weight to it and it looks so believable. Um, I can't, I really, it's part two, as good as this movie is guys, I mean, we've gone on and on and on and on for hours at this point, um, not just today, but like part two, it could be better. I think it, it could be better. A sandworm would be a pretty big practical set. <laughs> <laughs> I get. I gotta imagine they're gonna build at least like segments that they can like stand on, and that's gonna be a challenge. That's gonna be really. I think that's definitely. Someone pointed that out. I think replied to me. They're like, I think that's gonna be a big challenge for them to make it look believable and real. We've talked about how believable and real this movie is. The sandworm would be probably the most fantastical element. It's almost like a. It's a mythic beast, like a dragon or a Godzilla, like creature it's it's how do you put people on those but we saw at least that one little tiny hint at the end of this movie where there were the one one fremen is riding one worm and it it looks really cool and it looks really good and actually believable so we'll see how much of that we actually get and there's that funny there was that javier bardem i think uh interview recently as well where he was like i'm just begging denis to make me you know have me ride a worm in this movie so mm -hmm. sounds like he'll get his wish most likely the last thing i want to do to, to wrap up uh, this review is is touch on um if like looking at the the blu-ray release as a whole or as the extras is there anything that you thought could have been done better or is there anything that you wanted to see more of uh, let me start with you garen I know some people aren't a fan of this, but I am really a fan of when, whether it's the director, whether it's um, the editor, whoever it is, and they do the audio commentary track that you can turn on and off. 
they just don't do that very much anymore. But I, I don't remember which movies in the past I've, I've watched that commentary track on, but I love that. And I'm so in love with this film, as everybody knows, that I would just love to hear them talking about it as they're watching the film. Because it's one thing to have them, you know, in a segment be interviewed and ask specific questions. But when, when these creative people are watching the film and they must be, you know, sitting in a, in a small theater watching it and then they're recording their responses, stuff just comes out. Memories just pop up and, and, and things that don't necessarily come out in these, in these uh, add-on, you know, segments and it comes out. And so I just, that would be my dream is to be able to have Denis, quite frankly, but someone like Joe Walker, Patrice Fermet, all these people, I would love to have them commentating on this as I'm watching the film because I'd watch it a hundred times. I'm going to go with Garen. So many, many moons ago, about 20 years ago, when I, when I was in film school, I was obsessed with audio commentaries. Like, I think I learned more on some stuff than I actually learned in school. I mean, for God's sakes, um, have any of you seen Boogie Nights? I listened to that audio commentary and there's a scene where Paul Thomas Anderson's talking about a movie that inspired the pool scene, right? It's called I Am Cuba. I went on Amazon, bought that movie, never watched it, but had the DVD and being like, that's what inspired that scene. So I would have loved an audio commentary. That, that would have made the Blu-ray even, well, the home release even better. Or even, you know, like you said, the knee would be amazing. But even like, I think Star Wars did it once just an isolated score of just Hans Zimmer's music with no dialogue, just the score. I think that would have been perfect. A commentary or an isolated tour. I, I would have, I'm giving this home release like a 9.5, but that commentary would have given it a 10. Yeah, I 100% I echo those thoughts. Again, I'm probably like the more physical media oriented guy, at least definitely more than most people. Um, so I love part of one of the best, biggest parts of physical media for me is the special features because you can't get that on streaming by and large. Um, if you buy the Blu-ray, you get all behind the scenes features. You get deleted scenes if they have them. You get you can get extended cut if they have it. You can get a uh, you know commentary tracks. So I love commentary tracks. I love um, the more like comprehensive like beginning to end documentary style features that they do. This is something that uh, on Dunkirk they do a great job with. Christopher Nolan's movies always do a really good job with these. Um, he doesn't do commentary tracks either, but for the ones that really popped to mind, Dunkirk and Tenet uh, are his most, you know, his most recent movies. He has like, they're like hour and a half long documentary from pre, pre-production devising the theory of the movie. And then all the way through casting, all the way through designing, all the way through filming, all the way through post-production. And it's just so, especially for movies like Dunkirk and Tenet, which there's so much that goes into those. That's same for a movie like this. I think that would be amazing. Just, and Hey, I'm, I'm not complaining. I think special features is something that we don't get enough of anymore. And obviously this one could have had more. Um, over an, an hour plus is pretty dang good these days. Unfortunately, we sh that should be like the standard, I think, or the baseline. Um, so I would definitely encourage to anyone that could ever possibly hear this or is listening, um, just as much for part two on the Blu-ray, if not more. 
Um, commentary track is definitely a highlight. I think the most recent one, The Suicide Squad, I have that on 4K. That's a great, I love that movie and it's a great 4K scan and it's a great commentary track with James Gunn, who of course wrote and directed it. And yeah, the, the, you're absolutely right. You get a bunch of stories that just come to mind or just the tiniest random detail because you're watching it and it's not scripted and it's just thinking about, hmm, what was happening out on that day when we were filming this? What was going on with this actor, with this, um, you know, there's this funny story in the, in, about the Suicide Squad where John Cena, he has like a puffy face or mouth after this explosion goes off and he's all uh, injured. And he's like, oh yeah, uh, John had to go to the dentist that day and he, uh, his mouth was swollen from getting a tooth pulled. And that's why his mouth is swollen. It's not an effect. It's not makeup team doing anything. It just so happened that that was how it worked. And, I, and it's just, you would never, ever guess that or ever know that unless you had that commentary track. Because he's not thinking in, in all these interviews or these segments, oh yeah, John Cena had this little tiny thing that going off this tooth and that's why his mouth was puffy on that one day we were filming. Um, so yeah, I would love Denis. Again, directors, if they don't want to do something, they're definitely not going to do it. And, and some definitely more than others. You know, Denis, you know, English is in his first language. Maybe he doesn't want to talk for two and a half hours straight about this movie. Um, but uh, I will if... translate the French audio <laughs> commentary. <laughs> I would listen to it. Son. I would listen to it. Um, but I get it. And I think that was even something he did that that great Gam Jabbar scene thing for I think it was Vanity Fair on YouTube. Like millions of people have watched it. And it's a good it's like 20 minutes long just about that scene and all these tiny little details. I think we're going to get another release of this when Dune Part 2 comes out. And I think especially now with some themes that have been heard about that were cut, I feel like they're saving the full package for when Part 2 comes out. And it'll be a great way also to start promoting Part 2, like, come back to Dune. Here's the extended cut. I'm still hoping for that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, so that, that, that's always a good good point about the deleted scenes. I think we've we already mentioned that that before. I would have loved to see like at least a couple of them uh, in there, just give a taste of you know some of the other stuff that, that we did see. We, we we did, for example, get that that shot of Jason Momoa where he's looking over the desert, like the the arrival. So we know that they shot uh, a lot more, and like uh, you know there have been analysis on online of uh, all the stuff that <laughs> that wasn't in the in the movie. But um, yeah, like having said, uh, I think like the extras that we, we did get, like an hour extras, like I think it was, um, yeah, I really enjoyed all of it. And I think especially for, for people who maybe weren't as familiar with, with, uh, with Dune before, uh, I, I think this, this, is, this is great. Like even some of the, the really basic ones, like the one that's on, on all the versions, like the, the Royal Houses, it's a good introduction to the universe, like how to set up the conflict and uh, the film books as well, like how you get more context about the different houses. So I think for some maybe who hasn't even read the book and then they start exploring the feature, um, these extra features that they can understand more about the, the story going on. It's funny because my girlfriend asked me, she's like, are you happy with, you know, the Blu-ray? I'm like, yeah, just some of the stuff. I've, she's like, you guys have spent hours taking apart everything. Imagine someone that hasn't spent hours taking apart. I'm like, yeah, okay, you got a point. So, but special features were a big selling key for DVDs when they first came out. Yeah, I think uh, can totally resonate with there. I think for the people who haven't maybe gone as deep as us, I think the, this, uh, this hour of of content is, is, is great stuff. Uh, I, I do want to say that, and that's potentially something that they're holding back on 
because, you know, like uh, Denis has mentioned in interviews that he's trying to keep some mystery uh, about, you know, like Dune Part 2 and where you're going. Uh, but as mentioned, I would have loved to see like more of the lore and potentially like Denise talking about like uh, the, the dreams and like, you know, what 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 he was thinking, the thought processes there would have uh, wanted to see more. But yeah, again, I can understand they're trying to keep some of that uh, secretive. So hopefully we, we will get uh, more of that in the, in the future releases. Okay, so let's, let's wrap up our review. So that was uh, it for today's uh, show. Uh, of course, we're going to be coming back with, uh, with more uh, doing news, reviews, and interviews uh, in the coming weeks as, as well. So let's sign off. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Um, this is Garen Granada. Um, find me on Twitter at Dune Companion. And just really love getting everyone's opinions and, and, and love the opinions that you guys share with us. So uh, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you again for tuning in. Welcome back. Um, I, yeah, I feel like it's crazy because there's all this downtime, especially during the holidays where it just like Dune was like this long ago memory. And now it's like back in full force. Can't stop thinking about the movie now. Can't stop thinking about the special features. Can't stop thinking about it. it's award season. So that's something I'm sure next episode will probably touch on the awards news to date and the prospects on, on the, on the movie. But, and then of course now it's like, they're filming this summer they gotta get cast in soon there's gonna be some big news so who knows any one of these weeks we might get something and the ball might start rolling with that but uh you can find me on on, on twitter john at johnny sod check um i'm always buzzing about some nonsense over there so <laughs> do do or not uh simon dowdy here you can find me on twitter s dowdy on insta like johnny said they're gonna start announcing casts and i'm super excited I, it's going to be kind of a long wait until next year, but I think the summer will be amazing and this whole entire year leading up to part two. Yeah, and this was uh, Marcus Gabriel, uh, editor-in-chief at dunewsnet.com. And speaking of the, the website, we've recently done a redesign of the website. So if you haven't checked this out in a while, go and visit the site and let us know what you think. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, improvements uh, in the coming year or so. Yeah, totally open to your feedback and ideas. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews. <laughs>